A search for meaning. Oh, dear. What is our role and purpose in life? Oh, my goodness. Well, sometimes it just comes upon you. Like the candle in your hand. Last Thursday, several of us experienced something profound. We gathered with a large and peaceful group of citizens to protest overreaction and exaggerated punishment for a group of black high school boys. Six boys attacked a white boy who had taunted them. And what they did was wrong. The black students responded after three months of humiliating incidents that began with nooses hung in the school shade tree after a black boy sat under that tree, a tree informally reserved for white students. And the noose hangers did receive a token punishment, three days of in-school suspension. What the black boys did was wrong, even though a black boy had been beaten up by white boys when he showed up at a school party. The white attackers were not charged or punished. What the black boys did was wrong, even though a group of whites with a sawed-off shotgun attacked some black boys and the white attackers were not prosecuted or charged. Rather, the black boys who wrestled the gun away were accused of stealing the gun. It was wrong for Michael Bell and the other black boys to attack and injure Justin Barker, even though Barker had been taunting them. Violence and solving problems with violence is just plain wrong. Violence is so much a part of our lives that it's easy to forget how primitive, how primitive it is. We like to think that we can think. We like to think that we can reason together. Lyndon Johnson was probably the greatest majority leader the United States Senate ever had. He could negotiate and persuade and bargain and compromise and cooperate and collaborate like no one had seen before. His motto was, come, let us reason together. That comes from the book of Isaiah, verses, chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And a little later, in Isaiah 2, 4, we hear this. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Resolve conflict with reason, with dialogue, by searching for common ground. What a concept! We can, when we really want to, when the stakes are high enough. Unfortunately, when the stakes are high, we are also more tempted to settle the conflict with violence. Just to finish it off. All too often, we see and hear of and experience hitting or shouting arguments. There's enough murder and violence in the movies and on TV to convince anyone from outer space that violence is indeed the way we earthlings solve most of our problems. Every time we spank a child, we help keep the cycle of violence going in our family systems, and children learn from their parents that spanking is a normal, routine way of parenting. 
Well, my daddy spanked me and I turned out all right. Did you? Maybe. Did you turn out to be the best parent you could be? Or the best big brother or sister? Or son or daughter? Most of us have to settle for good enough or all right rather than the best we know we might become or might have been. But if you had to to live all over again, would you have preferred for your parents to sit down and talk with you and explain to you why what you did was wrong, why you shouldn't do that again? Or would you prefer a peach tree switch on the back of your legs? My grandson David earned his black belt in Taekwondo when he was barely nine years old. He goes to class once a week, and he wins ribbons and prizes in meets. My guess is that David, who is ten now, could take out 95% of this congregation without breaking a sweat (laughs) or even breathing hard. He practices at home, but he never uses his Taekwondo except in class and competition. My daughter has cautioned him not to tell his classmates or teammates because some bigger boy will start a fight with him, and she doesn't want that to happen. It's an extraordinary thing. Now, Michael Bell and his classmates finally responded with violence to the violence that had been done to them emotionally and physically. They'd been bullied all fall by whites who never were punished for their bad behavior, And so they beat up Justin Barker, and they were wrong to do that. Besides it being wrong, the white criminal justice system came after them with a vengeance. Now, the reason that the Gina situation attracted so much attention is that the overextension and overreaching of the justice system ruled by the local whites managed to make every mistake possible. White boys were not sufficiently punished for the federal hate crime of putting the nooses on only because they had not, didn't have any previous criminal records. The guidelines for hate crimes are very specific and make it difficult to charge people. And so the noose hangers got off easy. Black students were threatened and intimidated by the district attorney in a school assembly. The charges brought against the black boys were way out of proportion to their crime. The black public defender allowed selection of an all-white jury. And when the judge saw that the jury was all-white, he could have intervened, but he didn't. The public defender for Michael Bell failed to call a single witness, even in the presence of conflicting testimonies. Bail for the black students was set impossibly high, and several families had to mortgage their homes to make bail for their sons. It is common practice for white judges to set high bails for African-Americans and Hispanics. There are no winners in this case, folks. No winners. Everyone involved is a victim. Racially inspired violence and unfair, unequal administration of justice is nothing new. It remains common in Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, and other states. What brought attention to Gina was the repeated, blatant, racially framed actions and decisions in that judicial process. The black boys were wrong to attack Justin Barker. They're young, unsophisticated, brought up in a community where African Americans have not ever spoken up. 
they and their parents and grandparents before them have lived in two worlds, their own black world and in the dominant white world where they also have had to accommodate their lives and behaviors to that dominant white world, a world of white people who, for the most part, have demeaned them all their lives. Now, these boys come from poor families in a modest rural community that's 90% white. They are not heroes. They're part of a system and a culture that is reluctant and slow to change, a system that has rarely been questioned. Everybody in Gina is a victim. Louisiana is a victim. Louisiana has lost a lot because of this. Now, that loss, hopefully, may spur leaders to do something about this situation so that it won't happen again. Everybody in Gina is not only a victim, everybody in Gina is suffering from sadness, frustration, anger, resentment. They are trapped in a system that's going to have to change and carry them along with the change. The dominant white community has so internalized their condescending racial attitudes, the dominant communi white community I have heard speak insists that their town doesn't discriminate. They're in denial, and they don't even recognize their discrimination because it has become the norm. The outnumbered blacks have gone along passively, afraid to rock the boat, feeling powerless. Now, I see a lot of that in Shreveport. I feel it more than I actually see it. I haven't been able to put my finger on it. Some of it is below the surface and some of it I just don't know about. But I've felt it ever since I got here. Not in this congregation. Perhaps Shreveport has made more progress in racial attitudes than I give us credit for. We had a congregational meeting to officially support anti-racism and injustice toward blacks, and that's about biological differences, mainly skin color, susceptibility to sickle cell anemia, and the shape of each of the hairs on our head. A few biological differences. And this congregation came together as one, and within about an hour, an hour and ten minutes, put together a marvelous resolution. I was just, you know, my heart was singing. My heart was singing that day. But, but, if we had a meeting about gays and lesbians and bisexuals and transgender people to officially become a welcoming congregation as designated by the Unitarian Universalist Association, I wonder how that would go. The differences are biological, not skin color, just different biological. I wish people would get over their feelings about when we made that effort several years ago. I wish you all could forgive one another for the hurts that were inflicted on some of you. And this is the season to do it. This is the season of forgiveness. So I want you to think about that. I wish you could forgive yourself and one another for the hurts that you have inflicted on others and that have been inflicted on you. 
I don't know what all souls has to lose. Everybody knows we're out there pushing the envelope for justice, against violence, against racism, and that we welcome pagans, druids, this is a long list, earth-based religions, secular humanists, religious humanists, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, agnostics, and atheists. Now, that's strange enough around Shreveport, isn't it? (laughs) What difference would it make if we officially welcomed gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgender people? Think about it, really. If we can take an official stand for people who are persecuted for, for their biology, their skin color, why is it so difficult for us to take a stand for other people who are persecuted for their biology, their biological sexual orientation? If we can host Pagan Pride Day, why can't we adopt the welcoming congregation? Just think about it. I mean, they say that human beings are rational. Folks, we are not being rational. Do we have a role in equal justice for all, or don't we? If we're not, we need to change the name on the sign from all souls to some souls. For those of you who are guests, you need to know that the Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations has educational programs about sexuality and sexual orientation issues for children, youth, and adults, and they teach responsible sexual behavior. Several years ago, this congregation had a difficult year as they tried to decide whether or not to officially vote to become a welcoming congregation to people of all sexual orientations. Now, we welcome people anyway, but this was about becoming officially, officially a welcoming congregation. Now, I wasn't here, but the conversations, I understand, were unfortunate and bitter, and the proposal failed. People are still hurt. People are still hurt by that. People are still grieving. And some people are still afraid that if we officially take that stuff, the rest of the town will think we're weird. (laughs) Well, maybe they will. But just think about this. None of the other white churches in Shreveport were in Gina. We were the only one. The church in Baton Rouge was there. Some people came from New Orleans, and I understand that some rogue Episcopalians found their way into the place. (laughs) Anyway, I'm proud to be that kind of weird. We are developing relationships with the Hispanic community, who need tutors, and the African-American Christian churches. And I'm proud of that. Not afraid of that. We're all against violence, right? Huh? Give it up. Well, folks, violence is perpetrated against poor people, also rich people, black people, brown people, white people, people of all genders, and especially people whose gender orientation is different from the norm. All kinds of violence, physical, emotional, conditional, is perpetrated against brothers and sisters, children, old people, partners, husbands and wives, 
Violence is expensive. It's more expensive than divorce. You all know that the middle class cannot afford divorce, don't you? Yeah, okay. But anyway, violence is very expensive. Most of the men understand that. If you don't believe that violence is expensive, look at the number of American military people who have lost their lives in Iraq. This is up to date, folks. And that's what that number means, and it's changed every single Sunday so that we do not forget. Consider the thousands and thousands of Iraqi citizens, police, military, and civilians who've died. Violence has caused thousands of Iraqis to flee to neighboring countries, just about everybody who could afford to. And I emphasize this because it's one of the wars that's going on now, in addition to Darfur. And because America has made such an enormous investment in lives, arms, legs, and all sorts of body parts, not to mention the expenses of equipment, airplanes, bombs, etc. The same thing is true of all the other wars in history. That just happens to be the one that's going on now. Violence is expensive. Think what we could do with that money. Karl Marx claimed that capitalist countries needed to wage war and violence in order to sustain their economies. I don't believe that, but there seem to be a lot of people who think war is good for business. We are the largest manufacturer and exporter of armaments in the world, the United States of America. I suppose it's good for some businesses. I'd rather see that money go to better schools and health care, affordable child care, higher standards for health care, and more research in every area. Y'all can do better than that, but you can wait till the end. <laughs> now, I'm proud of this congregation. Real proud. Last Sunday, we had a regular church service. Then our jazz lunch and silent auction, which is just a blast. Sunday evening, we hosted an interfaith and multiracial prayer meeting and service to support the jailed youths in Gina. We fed 70 people with leftovers from the jazz lunch. And not only that, people sat around and talked and got to know one another. It was so much fun. Then Thursday, more than 10% of our congregation joined in riding with some black churches who welcomed us to their buses. Some of those pastors had been here Sunday night. We would never have been able to get a bus without our black church friends. Okay? Our African-American friends made it possible for all souls to ride to Gina. We have different theologies from those churches, but we have found common ground. We made a journey for justice for some poor black youths. We made a physical and spiritual journey to show we cared. I didn't see any other white congregations from Shreveport. Now, the Baton Rouge Church also passed a resolution, and they had a prayer meeting to show their support. Remember that here in Shreveport, we may be weird, 
but we are a tall tree. We are a beacon of freedom in a forest of fundamentalism. And I am proud we are. And Gina, and Gina, we were a scattering of white faces in a sea, a virtual sea of black faces, working together for freedom for six adolescent boys who got tangled up in a racially biased system. Now, what should our role be? What is our purpose? What is our vision for a better world? What is our vision for a better Shreveport and Bossier? What's our vision for a better justice system? Where do we, here's the existential question, folks, where do we, where does all souls fit into that, and where do you, each of you, fit into our vision for all souls? We are at a defining moment. I want to say that again. We are at a defining moment. Now, carpe diem, I learned in high school, means seize the day. When opportunity comes, step up, take hold, and run with it, because there is a special moment, a moment of choice, a moment to sit still, or a moment to stand up. A moment to look inside ourselves and reflect on what we really and truly stand for deep in our hearts. Not as we would wish others to see us particularly, but deep in our own hearts. And we have to look deep in our own hearts and act accordingly. You did that these past two weeks. You did that. And I understand, I understand that many of you who wanted to go to Gina couldn't for one reason or another. But those of you who didn't make it, fear not, you were well represented. We all behaved ourselves. Did we not? <laughs> All Souls has experienced a notable moment in our history. You've done something to tell your grandchildren about. Wherever you were physically, I know that spiritually and emotionally you were with us on that journey. We felt your presence, and the people on that march felt all of our presence. Folks, we were so easy to see. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Mead, the great anthropologist, said, Never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. We often talk about wanting to change the world. Well, we are changing the world. This is what it feels like to change the world. Nothing will ever be the same in Gina. The Louisiana court system, every judge, every jury, every district attorney and prosecutor, every public defender, every state legislator, every parish commissioner, every local and state official is going to reframe and think again when they make decisions in the future. They are. They are on notice from a peaceful people who are righteously indignant, and they know it. Is the work finished? No, not by a long shot. We need to keep pushing that big rock up the hill, even though we know it's going to roll back down on us from time to time. 
Does our work matter? Does our work matter? Are y'all listening? There you go. We have work to do in other areas as well. We did what we did to support justice, and the Louisiana court system and justice system will never be the same. We stood up, and we stood out. And guess what? Nobody shunned us for being weird. We are gentle, angry people. And when we see injustice, we'll stand up again and again and again. And as Henry Walker said the other night, we won't stand for it. That's what he said. We won't stand for it. Till the captives are free. Come build a land where sisters and brothers, anointed by God, may then create peace. Where justice rolls down like mighty waters, and peace like an ever-flowing stream. Amen.